0: All right, we're going to turn to John chapter 3 now this morning. But we're going to actually, let's pick up in verse 23, because this verses 23 through 25 in chapter 2 really kind of lead into chapter 3. It all goes together. So in John 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? We're going to stop there for this morning. But uh, as we go to the Lord in prayer today, let me invite you to be in prayer for two families and our church family in particular. One would be Dean and Diana Ovenshine. Uh, you, you may know them, uh, they've been members of our church for a long, long, long time. Very faithful, very active members. But uh, Dean has been placed under hospice care, and uh, unless the Lord miraculously intervenes, it would appear that he is in his last days with us. And so be in prayer for Dean and Diana. Uh, their daughter, Tina, is here. Their daughter, their son, Mitch, and his family, they live in Korea, and they were just here for a lengthy visit uh, and have gone back. So it's not clear that they'll be able to come back again this soon. So just be in prayer for Dean and his family. And then you may know Jason and Cha Nugent. Jason is also in the hospital, and he's in very critical condition as well. So we're going to pray for both of these families and our church family as they go through these times. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this Lord's Day. And God, we want to we want to stop and say thank you for letting us gather together as your people on your day and in your house and around your word. Lord, thank you for this opportunity and this occasion. Lord, we do lift before you the oven and the nugents. Lord, we thank you for the difference that Jesus Christ makes. We thank you that we know that that for a believer, death is, death is the last enemy to be abolished, that death is a defeated foe, and that to die is gain. To die is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for the hope and the peace and the comfort that gives us. And Lord, we pray that you would grant mercy and strength and peace and comfort to these families in these times Lord, uh, now we pray that you would help us to clear our minds of the cares and the concerns of this world, to focus on you and your word and what you'd have to say to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we work our way through the Gospel of John, today we come to what may be the most famous nighttime conversation in human history, that nighttime conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And in this conversation here in John chapter 3, in that conversation Jesus makes two statements in particular that have reverberated through the millennia, two two sentences that just echo through the through the canyon walls of time. One would be in verse 7 when Jesus said, "You must be born again." And then of course John 3:16, what may be the most beloved and most memorized verse of the whole Bible, "For God so loved the world." Well, we're going to Uh, For sake of uh, sermonic brevity, we're not going to try to take all this in one bite. So we're just going to deal with the first 10 verses this morning, what we read, and then Lord willing, we'll come back and deal with with the other parts of this conversation later on. But let's start with verses 1 through 10. And if you have your bulletin, there's that listening guide on the back panel. Let's start with Nicodemus, first of all. Who is this person and uh, what can we know about him? So John tells us in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. So the first thing we find out is that, that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were not religious professionals. They're not scribes. They are not priests. They were devout laymen. Now back in the Old Testament... God called the Jews to be his people. He said, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God, and here's what that's going to mean for you. And he gave them his law, the Mosaic law. Here's how you're going to live. These are the things you will do, and these are things that you won't do. And this is what you will eat, and this is what you won't eat. Here's how you will worship me, and here's how you will keep my Sabbath day, and all this. So God gave his people his law. Now, over the centuries, priests and other religious leaders made man-made rules around the law. Okay, what does it mean to do this and this? Where God says, thou shalt whatever, what does that look like in real life? And so they would flesh that out. Next thing you know, that became codified. Well, here's, here's how you ought to live. And so they made all these man-made rules that effectively built a hedge around the law. And if you kept the rules well then, you, there's no way you could break God's law. Let's say God said you can only drive 30 miles an hour. Well then, man would come up with a rule where well, you can only drive 20 miles an hour. Well, if you only drive 20, you'll never get close to breaking God's law of 30. Kind of get the idea? Now, the problem with all these man-made rules is they got ridiculous, and there were all kinds of caveats and loopholes and exceptions, and it just it just got bizarre. That's another sermon for another day, but. Suffice it to say that these rules, these man-made rules, for people like Pharisees in the first century, man-made rules became God's law. They elevated man's rules to the status of God's law, and it was all the same to them. And so the Pharisees, Nicodemus is one of these, the Pharisees, they were all about keeping the rules. And what you end up with is a very external, ritualistic, legalistic religion. It's all about the rules. So they wanted to make sure they kept the rules and they did their dead level best to make sure everybody else kept the rules as well. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Next thing we know about Nicodemus, he is a ruler of the Jews in verse one. he His name, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Scholars take that to mean he was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a 70-man council presided over by the high priest, and this 70-man council, the Sanhedrin, governed religious life for Jews in, in Israel, especially in the southern kingdom in Judah. It was comprised of priests and scribes and ruling elders. These, this is like the Supreme Court, the religious Supreme Court of Israel. Now, remember, this is an occupied territory, and Rome has final say on everything. I mean, they occupied the, the territory. But this Sanhedrin, these 70 men, they, they essentially governed religious life for Jews and a lot of civil life for Jews. So this is the religious aristocracy of the day. These men are wealthy. They are powerful And they are religious. It is the religious aristocracy of the day. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. Third thing we know about Nicodemus, he is a teacher. He's a Bible teacher. Jesus says this in verse 10, Are you the teacher of Israel? And do not understand these things. He calls him the teacher. Now, he's not the only teacher in Israel. But to call him the teacher speaks of his prominence. He's an eminent Bible teacher. He would teach the Old Testament to God's people there in in Israel in that day. So he is a Bible teacher, in essence. And then there's one other thing we know about Nicodemus. He's lost. He is lost. He is religious, extremely religious, but he is lost. He is without hope and without God in the world. He needed to be born again, just like everyone else. And Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He needed to be born again. By the way, there's a a change in pronouns that we don't really catch in English. In verse 7, when Jesus says, Do not be amazed that I said to you, that's singular. I said to you, Nicodemus, (laughs) you, now it's plural, y'all, all all y'all must be born again. Don't be amazed that I told you, all y'all must be born again again. Everyone must be born again. That includes Nicodemus, a devout, extremely religious person like Nicodemus had to be born again. So that's Nicodemus. So we got Jesus, we got Nicodemus. Now let's dive into this new birth. What does it mean to be born again? Well, I want you to see, first of all, here's your outline. The new birth is of necessity. It is of necessity. If anyone could earn their way into heaven, If anyone could deserve eternal life and deserve heaven, deserve to see the kingdom of God by religious observance, by religious zeal, by religious dedication, well, then Nicodemus would have been golden. I mean, he he would have had it in the bag. I mean, he would have been saved and he would already be a part of the kingdom of heaven if if that's how it worked. Think about this. He's one of God's people. He is a Jew. He's of God's chosen people. He worships the right God. He worships Yahweh, the God of Israel, the creator. He worships the right God the right way. He worships God according to the law that he gave his people. He is absolutely fanatical about the scriptures and about the law of God and about worshiping God and about the Sabbath day. He is is dedicated to all these things. So if you could earn your way or work your way into heaven by being sincere in your beliefs and fastidious in your religious observance, Nicodemus would be fine. But he's not fine. And Jesus says in verse 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is a case in point. And then he says it again in verse 5 unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then again in verse 7, you must be born again. You must be born again. Now, by the way, there's a there's a play on words in verse 2. Again, we just we it's lost in translation. In verse 2, Nicodemus begins this conversation. Whether he's sincerely complimenting Jesus or if he is flattering Jesus, it's hard to say. But he says, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. There's a word there in the Greek that translates no one can do. It means to be able to do, to to be able or not to be able to do. No one can do this thing. Jesus doesn't respond to the flattery or he doesn't accept the compliment. He just blows right past it. Remember, he doesn't need somebody to tell him what's going on in someone's heart. He already knows somebody's heart. So he just cuts to the chase. He gets right down to business. And here's the heart of the matter. Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that word is there again. Jesus catches that word. No one can do unless... And Jesus says, let me tell you what no one can do unless... Oh, no one could do these signs unless God's with them. Nicodemus, let me tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. There's a play on words. Point is this, it's of necessity. The new birth, it is of necessity. It is required. Now, you mean to tell me that a super religious, fanatically devoted, ethically moral, God-fearing, God-worshipping man like Nicodemus would go to hell if he doesn't get born again? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. You must be born again. Again, it is of necessity. George Whitfield was a preacher in the Great Awakening back in the 18th century. And it is said that he preached on, on this theme over 300 times. You must be born again. Over 300 times. And someone finally came to him and said, Preacher, <laughs> why are you always preaching on you must be born again? And he said, because ye must be born again. <laughs> That's why. You must be born again. And except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom Of heaven. It is of necessity. You know, it's been a crazy week in the news, hasn't it? What a week. And it all comes back to the fact, folks, you must be born again, and people need to know they must be born again. No matter who's in the government and no matter what the government does, you must be born again. No matter what happens in Afghanistan, you must be born again. No matter what happens with the weather and the floods, you must be born again. No matter what happens at Tenova Hospital, on the ICU ward, you must be born again. No matter what happens with COVID or whatever pandemic, you must be born again. You know, last year, didn't you get tired of the commercials during COVID? There were 500, I mean, every commercial in these uncertain times. You know, our profit-making corporation is here for you. We're in this together. You know, we're here to make money. I mean, we're here to help you. You know, we're in these uncertain times, I mean, just a you know, ah. but it's true. These times are uncertain. Life is uncertain. But here's one thing that you can go to the bank. You must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's of necessity. Not only is it of necessity. Notice that it is from above. The new birth is from above. Now, remember John likes double meanings? He loves double entendres, double meanings, word plays. He also likes misunderstandings. And that's a kind of a characteristic theme you catch all through John, where Jesus will say something and the person he says it to, he doesn't get it. What? <laughs> He'll say something and it just, what? That's what we have here. So we have a misunderstanding that's based on a double meaning. Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. What? How does that work? Man can't enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born again, can he? And it's based on a double word, a double meaning. The word again in verse 3, except a man be born again. The word again translates the Greek word "anothen." Anothen has a double entendre, a double meaning, two uses. Sometimes it is used to mean again, afresh, anew, again. You have to be born again. More often, it means from above. You have to be born from above. That's usually how John uses this word. In fact, down in this same chapter, down in verse 31, Jesus says, he who comes from above, that's this word, anothen, he who comes from above is above all. In Matthew 27, you remember when Jesus died on the cross and the temple veil was torn from top to bottom? Matthew says it was torn This word, not torn again, it was torn from above, from top to bottom. So there's a double meaning. Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Born again? Born a second time? Jesus is saying, you have to be born from above. Now you have to be born again, anew, afresh, from above. Now what's the significance of being born from above? Well, let's take a look. In verse 5, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water... And spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now I'm reading from the New American Standard version. And the New American Standard has it born of water and the spirit. They've added the definite article, capitalized spirit. So now you, it's the Holy Spirit. You have to be born of water and the Holy Spirit. All translation is interpretation. That's the sermon for another day. All translation is interpretation. But in the Greek, it's actually you have to be born of water and spirit. Born of water and spirit. That's what it means to be born again. Born from above. Born of water and spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to be born of water and spirit? Many scholars would say, well, that speaks of physical birth and spiritual birth. To be born of water would be physical birth. The amniotic fluid, we'll even say today, when a, when a woman goes into labor, her water broke, you know, amniotic fluid, so forth. So you have to be born of water, born physically, and you have to be born of spirit, born of God, born from above. Well, that's not wrong, and it certainly squares with the, with the rest of Scripture. Some would try to say that, okay, to be born of spirit of spirit, that's getting saved, and you have to be baptized. You have to be born of water. That's water baptism. Whoa, back up. <laughs> Who said anything about baptism? That's not a part of this conversation at all. That's, that's forcing something into the text that's not there. Many scholars would say we have an echo of Ezekiel 36, a passage that Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, would have known and would have recognized and would be able to draw upon. Well, let's take a look at that. Hang on to John 3 and let's go to Ezekiel 36. So, jump into the Old Testament. And in Ezekiel 36, the context here, God is giving a a message of hope for his people in exile. In the Old Testament, God's people were so rebellious, so disobedient, so idolatrous, that finally God said, I've had enough. And he, he, he used the Babylonian empire, the Babylonian army, to destroy the temple, destroy Jerusalem, devastate Judah. And God's people were taken into exile in Babylon. And then God tells those people in Ezekiel 36, 25, verse, let's start with verse 24. I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. One day I'm going to bring you home. There will be a new day. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, what, you got, what got you here in the first place. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. So did you catch that? God is saying to his people in exile, One day I'm going to bring you home and I'm going to cleanse you, not with literal water. Water doesn't wash away, idolatry, but I will cleanse you as with water and I'll give you a new spirit and a new heart and it'll be a new day. So that, I mean, that may be what Jesus is referencing here. Nicodemus would have known that passage. Either way, the new birth is miraculous. It is from above and that means it is miraculous. It is a miracle wrought by the power of God. Being born again is a miracle of God. It's not just getting religious. It's not just going to church and turning over a new, do, a new leaf. Or I'm going to start to do better. It's not just changing your ways. It's not a self-improvement program. It's not a 12-step program. It's not recovery. It's not willpower and, and self-control and discipline. It is a supernatural transformation that God performs when someone repents and believes on Jesus Christ. To be born of God is a miracle. You know, to be, to be born, you, you know, we celebrate your birthday, right? <laughs> Once a year, we celebrate your birthday, the day you were born, the day you came into this life. To be born is to be given life. To be born of God is to be given the life of God. It is to be given eternal life, life in Christ. For God takes something that was dead. Paul tells us that we are dead in trespasses and sins without Jesus. And he makes us alive to God in Christ Jesus. I once was dead, and now I'm alive in Christ. I once was lost, now I am found. So it is, uh, it, it's miraculous. And then notice also, it is mysterious. To be born from above, it is, it is miraculous and it's mysterious. And verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The new birth, the miracle of salvation is mysterious. And Jesus uses the example of the wind. He uses the example of the wind. Now of course today we understand a lot more about meteorology and all all that works than they might have done in the first century, but it's still mysterious. You can't see the wind. You don't know where it came from, you don't know where it's going, but you can see the effects of wind. You can, you can hear the wind blowing through the trees. You can see the leaves blowing. You can see the grass waving. You can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind itself. That's the miracle of the new birth. You can't see the miracle. You can't see the new birth. You can't measure it. You can't quantify it. You can't control it. You can't manage it, but you can see the effects of it. Namely, you see the effects of a miraculous change brought about by God in a person's life. Let me show you what that looks like. Let's go go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So let's turn to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Listen Listen to Paul describe the miracle of the new birth, the mysterious miracle of the new birth. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about. You want to see the kingdom of God? You want to live under God's reign and rule? You want to live with God? You want to, you want to know God now and be with him forever and ever and ever in the kingdom? You've got to be born again. So I, we're talking about the same thing. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. doesn't matter what the feel-good preacher says. Neither fornicators, that's who, folks who have sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, married people having sex outside of marriage, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, there you go. I mean, that's black ink on white paper. These people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God, period. Now watch. Such were some of you. Paul is writing to a church This is a congregation of believers. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Some of you were these people. Some of you did these things. What changed? You were born from above. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. You were born from above. That's that's the miracle of the new birth. Where the the liar, the thief, and the swindler... Is made honest, (laughs) where the where the adulterer is made faithful, where the fornicator is made chaste, where the where the drunkard is made sober. That's the miracle of God, born from above. Or as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creature. He's a whole new thing. Because old things have passed away and all things have become new. It is the mysterious miracle of the new birth, born from above. We heard that back in chapter 1. In chapter 1 and verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God, born from above, born again. Well, the new birth is of necessity. It is from above. Thirdly, it is through faith. The new birth is through faith. Now, we'll get into the uh, second part of this conversation, more next time. But notice in verse fifteen, whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Last week we talked about that Greek verb pistuo. Remember that, and and we said pistuo. It can mean to believe to accept as true. It can mean to to believe something so much you trust it, to have trust in. It can mean to have faith to have a, a believing faith, to faith in the gospel, faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, to, and so be a believer of the gospel, a follower of Christ. And it can mean to entrust in, to put something in someone else's care. So it had all those different uses, and you have to look at the context. John loves that word, pistuo. He uses it 98 times in the gospel, 8 times in this chapter, Seven of those are in seven verses, in verses 12 through 18. And then you hear it again in verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. He who believes. In the fine grammar of the Greek New Testament, we know that in this context, to believe is not to accept as true, but to put your faith in, to trust in, to have faith the new birth is through faith. You don't believe in Jesus the way you believe in Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> you trust Jesus. You trust him. You have faith in him. You trust his death to atone for your sin. You trust his resurrection to give you life. You trust him to save your soul. You trust him to direct your life, to be your Lord. You trust him to take you to heaven. You trust Jesus. You put your faith in him. You entrust All that you are and you all that you hope in Jesus Christ. If we could use gambling terminology, we would put it this way. You bet the farm on Jesus. You know, it's all or nothing. And I'm going to bet the whole farm on Jesus Christ. If he doesn't save me, I'm sunk. Because I'm not hedging my bets. I don't trust anyone or anything else. And if he doesn't come through for me, I'm doomed. I'm betting everything on Jesus. I trust Jesus. That's to believe. You're saved through faith. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You're saved by grace through faith. You're saved by grace. It's God's gift. You don't earn it. You don't pay for it. You don't deserve it. You'll never never do anything to merit eternal life. It's God's gracious, merciful gift. And know how much we would like to earn it. We really want to be able to contribute our two cents worth. I know Jesus saved me, but I helped. You know, or Jesus saved me, but I was worth saving. And, and it wasn't too hard because I'm such a great person. No, we're saved by grace. You're, it's the mercy of God, the gift of God, through faith. You receive that grace. You receive that mercy. You receive that gift through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Whoever believes you, faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. The new birth is through faith. We have nothing to offer God. The only thing we can bring to the table is repentance and faith. The good thing is that's what God requires, repentance and faith. In Mark 1 15, Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. Repent. Repent. Turn from sin, turn from self. It's a change of mind that results in a change of direction. You turn around. Turn from sin and self and the world and believe you faith. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you're saved. That's what God requires, but that's what we have to offer. When you do that, you'll be born of God, born from above. And then notice the new birth is for anyone. It's of necessity. It's from above. It's through faith. And it's for anyone. Again, in verse 15, whoever believes will in him have eternal life. In verse 16, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The new birth isn't just for the rich and the powerful. It's it's for the down and out and, and the folks who have nothing. It's not just for the religious. It's for the irreligious. It's not just for the moral. It's for the immoral. Everyone must be born again. And anyone can be born again if you'll repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you might be thinking, oh, preacher, you don't know where I've been. You don't know the things I've done. I, I don't, God could never forgive me. God could never save somebody like me. I want to tell you on the authority of God's word, yes, he will, and yes, he can. If you'll repent and believe on Jesus Christ, whoever believes shall have eternal life. Whoever. You must be born again. You can be born again if you'll repent and believe on Jesus. Have you been born again? Have you been born from above? Have you been saved? Again, it's it's not about doing religious stuff. Jesus said this to an extremely religious. He said this to a man who's more religious than you'll ever be. (laughs) This guy breathed religion, lived it every day of his life. And Jesus said, I ain't going to do it. You got to be born again. You want to see the kingdom of God? You got to be born again. Have you been born again? Maybe you grew up in church, joined the church. You've been taught, you know it all, but you must be born again. Maybe this is the first time you've ever been in church. You don't even know what we're talking about. You must be born again. Have you been saved? If not, if you're not sure or if you know you want Jesus, I invite you to come. In a moment, we are going to stand up and sing our hymn of decision. I'll be right here, and I invite you to come and say, Preacher, I need Jesus. I want to be born again. I, I want to be saved however you want to say it. We'd love to have a private conversation with you and answer your questions, pray with you if you'd like to, but you can leave here today knowing that you are born again, born from above, a child of God. Say yes to Jesus Christ. If you have been born again, what a reminder. We have the message. We have the truth. We have the good news. And we need to be telling a lost world in these uncertain times. You must be born again. You can be born again. Repent and believe on Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving this conversation for us. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for telling us that we must be born again, except a man be born again. He, he cannot, he's not able to see the kingdom of God. Thank you for telling us. Lord, thank you for making it so that anyone can be born again. Anyone, that whosoever will, may come. Lord, I pray for the one who's never been saved. Help them to see it. They've not been saved. Maybe they are religious, as religious as Nicodemus. They've been raised in church. They know all the religious stuff. They've done it all. Lord, they're not not saved. They haven't been born from above. They don't know you. Reveal that to them. Or the person who who knows, "I, I need Jesus. I want to be saved. God, we thank you. You didn't, you didn't bring us a new set of rules and another form of religion, but you've come to give us life, an abundant life in Christ. Seal this message to our hearts. Take charge of this time of decision. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.